Do you know any high achievers? You know those people that just seem like no matter what, they're always getting the job done. They're always getting new clients. They're always having cool things to talk about. They're always just have their life pulled together. We're going to just call them high achievers. But I want to tell talk today about their dirty little secret. Because instead of keeping them up on that pedestal, I want to talk about the pressure they feel and what's really going on standing on that pedestal. Because the truth is, most high achievers deep down feel like they're a complete fraud on the inside and don't entirely know why they have been successful. Now, you might not believe me with that, but there's studies showing that 70% of people experience feelings of inadequacy at some point in their career, and studies have been done specifically on high performers or high achievers, and a lot of confidence issues show up even on that side of the fence. What happens is high performers are crediting their success to natural charm, to their connections, and to circumstance rather than intentional choices, uh, mental hacks and capabilities, actual skills that they've spent years building, refining, and testing, and tuning, and ultimately just being consciously competent trainers. So if you've ever experienced low confidence at any point of your training career, I want you to listen and make time for this episode right here because we are going to dive into how trainers play small and hold themselves back from the greatness that they can actually achieve if they just made a few tweaks. Welcome to the Gymnasio Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnasio has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. Hi, I'm Peyton Hughes, and I am the CEO of Gymnazo and also a reformed high performer myself, reforming, I should say, because it's still a process. And I relate deeply to today's topic and feel in light of 2020, which I feel wrecked havoc on so many personal trainers' confidence as we step into the potential of 2021, I really want to dive into the six mistakes that I see personal trainers making that hold them back from living into their potential. These are the six mistakes that leave us feeling small, uh, not taking risks, uh, feeling beaten down on our inside, that fraudulent feeling. That's all what we're going to talk about with these six mistakes. And then, of course, I want to take a minute and say, okay, what do we do? How do we start getting this 
back on track? How do we stop playing small and actually step into the greatness we were put on earth to achieve? Um, Or what I sometimes call, how do I get into my zone of genius? And so that's where we're headed in today's episode. And so we're going to dive in on what are those six mistakes that I see so many personal trainers making. Um, and, And to be honest, it's not just personal trainers, but that's what our whole obsession is, is with personal trainers and the training community. So this podcast episode, if you're not a trainer, you're going to relate to this, but it is meant for trainers because that's who we were put on earth to serve at this point in time. All right, so let's dive into those six mistakes. The first mistake I see is that most trainers I've met are athletes already, not just athletes who lost some weight and are really energized now, but really were those jocks in high school, junior high, et cetera, pretty much always played on a team and have always had this identity of being an athlete that is very, very deeply rooted for them. They have a history of prioritizing their health and fitness most of their lives. They're not... I think in part they're they're naturally like this, but also people who are attracted to the training profession tend to be high vibe, happy people who are naturally magnetic. And they don't know exactly why people are drawn to them. They just know people are. So in a sense, the first mistake is many, many personal trainers feel like they've come into this profession easily, which means they are detached from connecting, relating to lower motivated clients who genuinely need their help. Uh, this mistake is even bigger. It's, it's basically being unconsciously competent. This is something where, and my background is in uh, consulting, professional development, etc. So when I hold trainings for leaders, we talk a lot about the unconscious competence, where you're good at something, but you don't even know How? So you rely on the fact that it's just come naturally to you. And we like this in American culture, the sense of of it coming to me naturally as if you're some kind of protege, some kind of um, really gifted and special individual. And I'm not here to say you aren't because that would be literally the opposite of this point. What I'm trying to say is a lot of trainers I see don't actually know why they're good with people. Don't actually know why athleticism helps them to stay positive, helps them to stay eating healthy. They, they're so, it's so innate at this point in their careers and their life. They're detached from people who have had a different journey. And this makes it very hard to relate to clients that are unlike you. And so if you're relating to this, you might go, yeah, I mean, hey, the good news is to be competent at anything is great. And if you have to be unconsciously competent, that's okay to get your foot in the door. But if you really want to be an elite trainer, you really want to be that zone of genius, amazing trainer, you've got to get from the unconscious to the conscious side of competence. So we'll talk a little bit about how to do that later, but that's the first big mistake I see is that there's just a lot of naturally good with people trainers out there that don't exactly know why they're good with people and they're so naturally athletic that they really don't understand the person that struggles to walk in the door for their first workout. 
because they're deeply insecure about what shoes they're wearing or they're worried that they won't know where to walk physically in a space or how to get the TV to turn on correctly to do a virtual training session with you. That's the kind of thing that I think holds a lot of trainers back is that they just are so detached from a lower motivated, lower vibrational person who make up, quite honestly, most of the clients that we train. So having this gap between genuine connection and understanding, because most trainers that I've worked with tend to already have their athleticism dialed, their health dialed, and their personal connections and magnetism dialed in. And so they're that it's harder for them to get to a true place of empathy and connection with the people they're called to serve. Now, again, if that's not you, rock on. And then maybe you resonate with the fact that you see other trainers being more like how I just described. But I'm just, again, going for more of the themes that I've seen over a decade of being in this industry, uh, not as a trainer myself, but working with and hiring trainers. So the second mistake that I see is that trainers compare their progress, their capabilities, and their success to those far, far ahead of them. And they allow that to demoralize them. So we, I've heard this said in this way, and I love it, which is do not compare your chapter three with someone else's chapter 76. Why? Because it won't be fair. It's not fair. And a lot of trainers will sit there and go, gosh, I only have five clients. I only know how to help soccer players who are prepubescent females, or I only am making $5,000 a month and 4,000 of that's going to expenses and I'm barely paying rent. And they just beat themselves up because the people they follow on social media or the friends that they admire from afar tend to be those that have hundreds of clients, have tons of skill sets, are on all the social platforms that people know about them. And when that's your measuring stick, There's a point to where aspiring to someone who's gone ahead of you is good and awesome and and an amazing way to chart success, but there's a point where the the measuring stick is just so high that it's actually demoralizing instead of inspiring. So part of this mistake in this comparison game is that a lot of trainers, by comparing and choosing someone who's so much farther ahead than them to compare themselves to, they actually start getting desperate for more magic pill fixes and really crave those instant results. Here's what I know to be true. Anyone that is successful, if you ask them how they got there, they will never in a million years say, Oh, it just accidentally happened for me. I just rolled the dice on life and it just all happened. So that's just not what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, what you don't see is the 10 years it took me to get here. What you don't see is the low confidence I've struggled with since I was as early as I can remember. What you don't see is how many times I was rejected. What you don't see is how many times people limped out of my training sessions because I just didn't know what I was doing. And so when we compare 
to somebody that's so far ahead of us, we make ourselves vulnerable to wanting a magic pill fix, that shortcut uh, sales pitch lands for us. And we always feel agitated because we want just instant results because we're telling ourselves that they got instant results, that they got all this overnight success. No success is really overnight. That's just what I continue to see from people I admire and look up to. The truth is most success comes from consistently implementing the boring stuff over and over and over and over again. And that's the truth. Somebody doesn't get on TV because they hit the pitch right the first time. Probably they pitched TV networks for years and dozens and dozens of times before they even got someone to say, hey, that was an interesting comment. Let's see if we can get you on a spot. So so true success comes over time. And while I'm a big fan of having people to look up to, to have people who inspire you to reach new levels so you don't stagnate in your career development, you gotta be really careful and mindful that you never let the comparison uh, go from inspiring you to see what's possible because if they can do it, they've just shown you that you can do it. That's healthy. Where it gets unhealthy is where you get agitated that you aren't getting there fast enough, that you should somehow have some overnight success experience. And that's just not realistic. So that's a big mistake I see. The third mistake that I see is that trainers bias way too much to their left brain. And this is actually not so trainer specific. This is our society. We have dominated our left brain. We are logic prone in our society. We care a lot more about facts than feelings. We care a lot more about proven truths or science over maybe intuition and what we just instinctively are tuning into. And with trainers, so often what I see is this obsession with getting all these certifications and all this knowledge and all of this information in your brain so that to prove that you know what you're talking about or to build trust with the client, you don't spend any time empathizing, connecting, or relating, and instead spend time spewing, delivering, and word vomiting information at human beings to prove that you're so smart. And it's unfortunate because while you might be literally speaking the very words, science, facts, and studies that could transform this person's lives, it, life if they just accept it, what is more often happening is that it sounds like you just love your own voice and it's tone deaf. And it doesn't land and it's awkward. And I don't know about you, but if you ever had someone that just loves to share a lot of information, it works for some personality types and it really off puts others. But I think what it ultimately comes down to is we've been raised in a society that cares a lot more about logic than feelings. We want to, to quote a study instead of share um, a heartbeat or share an experience with people. We don't want subjective, we want objective. And in training, when we wanna measure progress because we wanna share results, because results is what gets people to come in because of their aspirational identity that you're gonna give them, 
we go so heavy on results and logic, we forget that results can also be feelings. Results can also be subjective. Uh, And we lose this piece, which is both right brain and left brain are vital to inspiring, motivating, and creating change with people. And getting that emotional intelligence, not just actual, I don't want to say actual intelligence, but it's like IQ versus EQ. Both are super important. And I believe at least emotional intelligence can be learned. I also believe someone with a really good heart and a good person can be taught anything. It might take a little longer. You may not latch onto it fast enough, but in our experience, I'll take someone with a beautiful heart all day long and teach them how to be a killer trainer uh, over somebody that knows all this stuff and can't quite grasp the human connection. So, so often we see trainers biasing to that left side and ignoring um, the human connection, ignoring the nuance of what energy blocks are doing in your body. Do you know, you might experience pain. Hey, you know, there's such a thing as wanting to be in pain because somehow it's serving you in some way. And it's very frustrating for a left brain trainer to not acknowledge that there could be something going on here where this person is really good or somehow feeling served in their discomfort because they love that people feel sorry for them or they love to complain or they create this this common experience with someone that they want to have connection with and they're not actually that motivated to get out of pain or they're really just wanting to have someone care about them and it's really not about progressing and it's a very there is more going on than what makes logical sense and so Trainers who only focus on the facts, the science, and studies can lose the heart and the potential connection that would be far more vibrant. All right, so that was a bit a bit long here. The fourth mistake I see is this classic one, and I know you're going to relate to this because most trainers really do, which is trainers can get sucked into that alluring perfectionist mindset. This is what happens is they don't delegate because they feel like it should be them. They're the smartest one on the team. They're the one who's the writes the best programs. They're the one who has to clean the floor because it'll be spotless if they do it. Uh, they This causes us to stall, to push off taking action because we're afraid of failing. I don't know if you relate to that, but how many times do you know what to do? You just don't want to because it's not the fear of actually failing, that's the scariest part. It's the fear of being seen failing by others you want to impress. I love that distinction because at first I was like, gosh, I don't have fear of failure. And when I had that reframed for me by a mentor, it was like, oh shoot, you're right. I do care what people think about me. Bummer. That's totally holding me back from my potential because I'm afraid to be seen as failing. I don't actually care about failing. I just don't want to be seen doing it. So that can often hold us into this perfectionist mindset. Part of the problem is also that we don't understand the law of diminishing returns. Now, those that know me know that as soon as I figured this out at like 21 years old, it has been one of my soapboxes as a leader. And so here in a nutshell is what it is, is that there's such a thing as law of diminishing returns. Um, where you know the amount of work it takes to get something almost done or what we call good enough 
good enough being your clients will be happy with it. It'll work for most people. It'll be seen as a good addition to your training. It'll play, right? Like it's a move you can make that's going to progress the game in front of you. When it, the amount of time it takes to get good enough is like probably 50% of the effort. The amount of time it takes to get it to be perfect is another 50% of effort. So when we get sucked into perfectionism, we actually waste almost double the energy that it would otherwise take to just roll something out that's good enough to play, that's good enough to advance, that's good enough to move you a little bit forward. Uh, versus taking double time to get it to where it's so close to perfect and then you've just lost a ton of opportunity to progress, to make more, put out more good enough pieces, etc. And when I say this um, to my husband, Michael, if you know him, he's like the king of trying to get it just so freaking good. When we would have a natural tug of war on this one, because I'll say like law of diminishing returns and he'll look at me and be like, that's what people say when they push out insufficient results. And we laugh about it now because this healthy tug of war exists. But if you are only playing perfectionist and there's no voice in your life pushing you saying, hey, the amount of time it's going to take you to get that exactly right, you're going to lose ground. You're going to potentially lose out on this opportunity that is here and now. And what you just did is good enough to go. And so the perfectionist mindset can actually hold us back from the progress that we need to make and the headway we can make and the progress we can push for. Another thing that's hard about being a perfectionist is is caring way too much about just being smart and not enough about actually executing on what you know. And we see this a ton with certification junkies, people who are just addicted to information um, and just want all the information, kind of sit in that place of never being good enough, which we're going to talk in the next mistake about that. Um, but there's this sense of, I just need more, more. It'll never be good enough. I'll never be a good enough trainer. So I need to like get all the information, but then they won't ever implement it because they always feel like there's something missing. And so they're constantly looking to fill the gap of their knowledge before they're willing to ever implement on something. And the truth is, Most people iterate. If you think about the technology or the cell phone that I'm recording this on, this is not the first iPhone that ever came out into the world. We're on like the 13th iteration at this point. And and before that, it it sits on the shoulders of technology that took decades to create. All of life is iterating. All of life is an evolution. All of life is stair-stepping into a higher place of understanding, a higher level of productivity, and greater success. And so we don't want to get stuck waiting for every little piece of information to show us the roadmap that we could be 16 miles into hitting our destination if we had just gone without knowing every twist and turn that could come up. All right, and so the other dark side of perfectionism is you get stuck not delegating anything and feel all this pressure that no matter what you actually get done during the day, there's some weird sense of it's never good enough. I think I researched a while ago that 40% of Americans leave their, or excuse me, most Americans leave 40% of their to-do list undone at any given point of their workday. That means they have 40% of their to-do list hanging over their head as they drive home or bike home or walk home or whatever. And that's just straight up demoralizing. But here's the kicker about perfectionism. 
We get something out of perfectionism that's subtle. Because in one sense, it's like, gosh, I didn't get that done good enough or that wasn't quite right. And on one hand, you're, you're harming your psyche by saying you weren't good enough, you suck, and you're beating yourself up on one side. But seriously, on the other side, you're like, because my standards are so high, because I am so visionary about just how epic this could be, because I know what others don't know, which is that it's, whoa, what's possible out there is truly incredible. And so when we get into that mindset, we're both praising ourselves for our epically ridiculous high standards and hitting ourselves for never, ever reaching them. And it's this love-hate dynamic of perfectionism that's super dysfunctional. Think of it like an abusive relationship. If somebody's always telling you that you're crap, And you could be so much better, but on the other hand, they're like telling you about your potential. Like, I see this for you. You could be so amazing, but you're shit now. It's this really discomforting situation and it's not healthy. And so perfectionism is like letting your inner critic wreak havoc on you while somehow trying to inspire you to work harder, faster, and better, which leaves us feeling empty and downtrodden. Because there's just so many hours in a day and it's this horrible cycle of feeling like you're never good enough, which leads me to mistake number five, which is this sense of imposter syndrome, which is really what we started the episode talking about, which is this confidence crisis. Most people suffer from true and genuine confidence. We call this imposter syndrome. And so here's, I'm going to read you a little definition about what imposter syndrome is because I love this definition of it, which is a psychological phenomenon known as imposter syndrome, which reflects a belief that you're inadequate, incompetent, a failure, despite the evidence that indicates you're skilled and quite successful. I love this definition because so often imposter syndrome is seen as I'm just a fraud. And it's like, no, imposter syndrome's worse than that. It's that you're hanging on to this identity of not being good enough while in the face of evidence saying you are wonderful, in the face of evidence saying you got killer results with that client that people need to hear about. And We get into this crazy mindset of like, we're not good enough because we're comparing against all these people or because we have these insane perfectionist standards or because we're, you know, comparing against all these other things. We sit in this place of never being good enough in the face of actual evidence that would prove to you the opposite if you just took your imposter syndrome to court. And so think about that for a second. Think about yourself in a court of law and somebody says, I don't know what your name is. If you're listening to this, just say your name's Jim. Hey, Jim, you're a total fraud as a personal trainer. Prove it to me. Prove it. Prove me that that's wrong. And you sit there and go, okay, like, let me actually sit here and sort through the information that would say, no, I'm a kick-ass trainer. And watch what happens if you actually force yourself to do that. You're going to be blown away with what you've been able to achieve that there are real lives that you have changed, that there are real people that have gotten success, have believed in themselves for the first time ever because you didn't, you shielded them from their own imposter syndrome and now you need to do it for yourself. 
And I'm starting to shift into the solution mode because that's my mode of operatum. That's what I care about. But imposter syndrome basically is this belief that you aren't good enough in the face of information that would say the opposite. And that's the part that's dysfunctional. One more disclaimer on this subject. I don't think imposter syndrome is always bad. And I know this is counter to a lot of messages out there, but hear me out on this one. Some people just actually are imposters. Sorry, but that's just true. Most of us, when we start anything that puts us on a stage, that forces us into a leadership role with people older than us, or at least peers of us, that, that, throw us in the deep end at some point of our career, there's this mantra that a lot of us have heard growing up, which is fake it till you make it. I do not believe that that is a good way of handling it. What I do believe is there is a point where you have to acknowledge, I am not good enough yet. And yet is that powerful word that has to be infused in your psyche. And so I guess in a sense, it's not actually the identi- uh, definition of imposter syndrome because I believe imposter syndrome is in the face of evidence that would prove opposite. But when it comes to low confidence, low confidence itself is not always bad. It can drive you to get the information, to get the mentorship, to reach for uh, the experience that you need to push you into success. Where it gets dysfunctional is when it really is you've you've um, somehow gotten something out of this identity of feeling fraudulent or low confidence, and somehow it's in the face of all this evidence that you really are fantastic. And so you want to, on one hand, it's okay to have some low confidence as long as you're using it to go and get the tools, skills, training, and community that you need to succeed without it being dysfunctional and in, really delusional. A lot of times imposter syndrome is a delusion. And so you want to take yourself to court on that one and really get to the facts of it. All right, mistake number six. Oh, I love this one. And this is not going to be flattering, guys and girls. Um, trainers are mentally out of shape themselves and give up too soon. So here's why I love talking and educating trainers Because when it comes to mind, body, soul, and our overall health, fitness, vitality, and all of those areas, they feed into each other. And we know this. We know instinctively that people out there are lonely in their souls, that they are mentally uh, unhealthy, that they have attachment issues, that they have mental health concerns, that there's, there's other things that are out of shape, if you will, but they are far more willing to swipe a credit card for you to kick their ass in a workout than they are to sit w- with a therapist and talk about their real trauma. And trainers, we know in the training community that a good workout yields really positive opportunities, both mentally and soulfully. But what I see a lot of trainers doing is relying on that, um, that high or that dopamine hit, if you will, from a good workout and rely on that to feel mentally in a good spot or rely on that to feel soulfully fulfilled for that moment. But like we know in fitness, it's not just one workout that gives you abs. It's, well, or at least the appearance of abs. We all have abs. It's just under how many layers of fat do we have them. But it's this sense of, it. it's, you can't just get fit in a workout. 
And we know that because we preach that all day long. But the same is true with your mindset. The same is true with your emotional intelligence. The same is true with your soul and your purpose here on earth. You've got, if you don't take the time to get mentally fit, and I'm even going to say soulfully engaged with a purpose, a mission, and, and a sense of really fulfillment in your life experience, then what happens is you just learn how to fake your energy. You burn out in your career. We see this a ton in fitness, which is that you're just relying on your magneticism, on your natural energy, but you don't know how to foster, keep, and maintain your energy like you have a generator, And a good healthy mindset and a good soulful mission can generate far more natural and positive energy than just faking it or having to do a workout to have good energy to go and coach people in their workout. There's more to the puzzle than just being good in your fitness. There's your mindset. There's your emotional intelligence in your soul. They also need workouts. They also need discipline. They also need to be pushed out of their comfort zone. And if you don't take the time to get mentally in shape, you often burn out because you're faking all this energy. You're having a hard time motivating people who don't naturally understand that working out more is a better way to live. And it just leaves you vulnerable, honestly. And if I saw one thing in 2020, it was this. If you don't have a mentally healthy routine or some kind of way of keeping yourself in a healthy and good spot mentally, you are vulnerable to seasons in life that are just plain hard. Hard times can bring you to your knees and devastate you as a person, in your business, in your relationships way more and leave you feeling blindsided when you are not in a habit of getting strong and getting fit in your mind and your soul. And that's what I see. And that is beyond, like that applies so much beyond trainers. But I just see that with trainers, we emphasize like the fitness, the physical fitness. Our clients are willing to pay for physical fitness, but every single one of us want mind and soul fitness as well. And if there's one trend that's coming now in fitness, it's that, that people want a more integrated fitness experience, that people want a soulful connection. They want... Soul Cycle is like the worst workout, I'm sorry, in the world, but it's a freaking cool experience. And you know why? Because people speak, the trainer speaks into your heart. The trainer speaks about you into your healthier mindset. And yes, you're burning calories doing a monotonous frontal plane, lower body exercise ad nauseum, but you're getting something out of that experience that's addictive. Because why? Because just as our physical experience of burning calories and walking out feeling like you're on this runner's high or this workout high, there's something that also happens to us when we emotionally engage and soulfully engage uh, daily in our lives. And the happiness and the fulfillment that so many people are chasing is simply just missing out on this kind of discipline. And so with trainers... The, the opportunity is so ripe for us because we get what it's like to feel in shape. We get what it's like to push into new territory physically in our bodies. 
that gives us an edge to get into that mental toughness, that mental capability and strength, and also into that soul, which is so often overlooked and so often feels like it's on the back burner. Bringing your mind and your soul into your focus and getting disciplined with your daily routines and ways of sharpening those is super, super powerful. And I can tell you if you do one thing going into 2021, it should be that. All right. So now we're in the part of our uh, podcast episode where it's a natural segue into talking about our sponsor. And today's sponsor in this episode is Gymnazo EDU and our multiple multi-dimensional movement coaching program. So um, before we get into the solutions for how to get uh, away from these mistakes that hold trainers back from their potential, I just want to share a little bit about the multi-dimensional movement coaching certification program. It's really a mentorship program because What we believe and what we've even teased about even in this episode is that just having information isn't enough. We really want to come alongside of trainers wanting to transform the way in which they coach people, the way in which they connect intentionally with people, the way they think and look and view biomechanics, the way they are unintimidated by pain of any kind because they have a solution ready to go. They have a way of of tracking pain through the body and creating wins for their clients. So if you are building out a fitness business or a personal training business, um, I'd like to share with you just a minute about what we have here, which is 10 modules where we go and deep dive over 90 days and we create a guided experience. Basically, everyone that enrolls in what we call the MDMC coaching program is mentored by Michael and our amazing coaching team on how to blend performance. So kind of that classic fitness Uh, side, which is how do we take you from being good to great, but then we don't forget that most people walking through the door are not good remotely. In fact, they're probably not even neutral. In fact, they're probably walking in with serious movement dysfunction that they're either conscious of or not willing to voice in your training session. And how do we take a trainer already maybe struggling with some confidence and say, okay, look, Here's the real opportunity in fitness. Let's go after the more at-risk people coming in wanting to get in shape, but they're walking in the door with dysfunction. And it's not bad enough often to go to physical therapy. We're talking post-physical therapy. They're walking in the door and they are not, quote unquote, cleared to do the socially active stuff that they're really excited about. So how can we blend fitness performance with restoration? And what's awesome is fitness is sexy. We can make it fun, playful. We can make it energizing. We can make it a really amazing experience. And so we have figured out how to blend performance with restoration in a way that doesn't make someone feel benched in their workout, but makes them feel like they're really successful and building on success that's actually transforming the way they live their life and move. So that's what we've built. And we've... We've pretty much figured out that 10% of the science that we're taught in fitness is actually what you need to learn on a daily basis to create really foundational problem solving that so many trainers are desperate for, which is 
is how to think about movement, how to think about your client's experience, and then how to ultimately deliver a five-star training experience for a group training, for semi-private, and for one-on-one training. And so we teach you how to blow your clients' minds, honestly, with intentional progressive programming and curate that experience that turns clients into raving fans. So if that sounds like something you're intrigued with, something you want to learn more about, go to gymnazoedu.com and check out the MDMC program or the multi-dimensional movement coaching program to see all the modules broken down and what our support and accountability systems are because this is not just a do-it-yourself course that you can forget about where we give you modules and tell you to do your homework and never check on you. This is actually a program where we're going to be on the phone checking in with you in group meetings waiting for you to join, working through how to tailor our approach to your unique business, facilitating coaching calls, making sure you're tracking with us uh, because we believe that you're going to run into snags as you implement really elite information and we want to be there with you to anticipate those and help you push through those so you can actually create the transformation that you're wanting. So if you want to learn more about that program or get some results that our students have gotten, go to gymnasoed.com and we will see you there. Okay, so let's jump into some of the solutions around these mindset uh, pieces. So in general, when we look at these six mistakes, a lot of it comes into this mindset of playing small and getting snagged in the way we view things that hold us back. So some really important five different things that I believe if you can zero in on with focus in 2021, you're going to see an improvement in how you show up as a success how great your training becomes, how transformational your career becomes, quite honestly. Because so many people are you know, loving fitness and trying to build a sustainable career, but simultaneously wondering if this is just a hobby job. And it is not a hobby job if you do it right. So let's talk about the five ways to kind of step into your greatness. First, you need to, and I've already alluded to this because I can't help when I talk about mental fitness to not talk about what you can do about it, which is that you need to get mentally fit and treat your mind like your body. Again, your body doesn't just need one workout to look and feel amazing. It needs constant maintenance and pushing out of your comfort zone. And so does your brain and so does your soul. So you need to find... um, a podcast to listen to, a YouTube channel to tune into, an online community of people that are out there dripping in bite-sized consumable content that's going to help you reframe something, that's going to help you with your emotional intelligence, that's going to help you with the way you look at adversity, the grit, etc. I TED Talks are great, but consumable content, and I say it that way not because I'm not a huge fan of long-form content content or because I don't love picking up a good book and reading it. It's just that most of us are from a TV generation where we're used to 20 minute episodes, max 40 minute episodes, and we're multitasking during it. So because that's just the reality, most of us want something that's five to 10 minutes that we can kind of consume at, at our pace and drip in Little comments, quotes, truths, uh, exercises, a, a routine, if you will, so that we over time progress so far, but it's bite size and doable. I know this, and you probably do too with your clients. If it's 
if it's small and something you can do consistently, you'll do it more often. So instead of telling someone to start training for a marathon, you know you're not going to say that. You're going to say to do something to start training for that first mile. And walking is fine and and pacing yourself is fine. And it's all about small, little incremental improvements. Well, the same is true for your mind. So start with success and build from there. Uh, The second solution I would say is to surround yourself with people who push you, period. You've all heard this, I'm sure, which is that you are the common denominator of the five to seven people closest to you. And that should scare a lot of us, unless you've intentionally evaluated who is in your proximity and whether or not they are individually expanding their horizons, elevating their knowledge, and stepping into their own greatness. If you're around those people, you will advance. You will be exposed to someone instead of just commiserating with you as you share a victim experience in your life. And I use victim not as like I, I use it in the sense like you're you're choosing to feel like a victim instead of seeing how something um, could be for you and pushing you into um, the way you're supposed to be. But if you don't ever connect yourself with people who can push you, call you out on your own bullshit, who can who can offer a different perspective, offer a different interpretation, then you're really going to be in a in a hard spot. And the third solution would be to get uncomfortable routinely get uncomfortable. Some people do it through breath work. Some people do it through cold ice showers. Some people do it to waking up at ungodly hour every day because it's just out of your comfort zone and it's crazy. Or or maybe it's committing to doing something in 2021 that really just scares you. Um, and not like cliff jumping off of 200 feet scares you, but something that's like, oh man, that's going to be, in t- that's going to push me out of my comfort zone. And every one of us probably has some things where we're like, yeah, that would make me feel exposed. That would make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. That's the kind of stuff that starts gearing your mind up to be versatile, dynamic, and a conquer. The fourth solution would be to invest in developing that right brain. And we talked a little bit about the mistake of overdeveloping your left because our entire society goes that way. Let's talk about that right brain. We know that people make more money and advance in their profession if they are become consciously competent about people. Because people are the ones who buy training. People are the ones who take ownership of their transformation. People are the ones who share about how amazing you are as a trainer with their friends. Understanding behavior, understanding psychology is really the the place you need to get to. And I always say you start with your own journey of self-awareness. The more you can self-actualize, the more you can grow and evolve and iterate as your own human being, the more you're going to learn about behavioral awareness, the more you're going to be able to spot dysfunctional mindset in others, the more you're going to be able to relate and understand some of the empathy that you're going to need to motivate and inspire people who are in a different place than you are. But it all comes from a place of unpacking the person that you are today and shedding some of that weight that is un, 
necessary and not serving you so you can step into a lighter, more evolved version of you. And finally, I would say the fifth thing to do would be to figure out how to nurture your emotional energy so you create your own generator so that you can train others from a place of fullness and you don't have to fake it. You don't have to deplete your reserves. You don't have to wait uh, for the worst case you know, for a full breakdown before you get the message that you aren't taking care of yourself. And so often in our, in our world, um, the cobbler's children don't have shoes. And what I mean by that is we don't self-care the way we tell others to self-care. And if there's one thing I've taken out of 2020, it's that that's actually hits really home for me personally. Um, and those of us that are more naturally energetic, those of us that are more naturally extroverted, that love to give and receive energy from others, it takes us longer, but and we burn out hard when we do, and it feels like it's coming from left field, but it's because there's no actual regenerating system or routine that you've tapped into where you can really come from a place of good, full, beautiful energy every day recharging yourself. And so if you feel like you fake good energy in your training, First of all, you are not alone. That is a very much a norm in our industry. But as we tune into training the mind, body, and soul in an integrative way, coming into a truly positive and full energy is very important for you. And it's going to carry you to new places in your career very truly. And so I would say that's a huge piece. Get into some kind of morning routine or some kind of a daily ritual that allows you to restore your own energy and inspire you to come from a place of genuine energy so you don't have to fake anything to create energy in others. All right, that's what I've got for you guys. So um, in conclusion, to me, The big piece here is as a personal trainer, consider your mind, body, soul are interconnected and what that means to you on a daily basis, getting fit in all three. To be truly great as a trainer, I believe you have to intentionally train all sides of the human being you truly are, which means you need to get into that soul, which means you need to get into that mindset. And more than just look good, you need to be strong in your brain and soulfully aligned to your mission here on earth. And when you train like that, I guarantee you will have truer confidence, less imposter syndrome, and you will be able to step into your potential far more easily because you've actually gotten aligned in your mind, body, and soul. And that's what we want for you. That's why Jamazawidu exists. We hope to connect with you on social media or in our Facebook group. And we do not want you playing small. You are here to shine. And we want that for you more than anything. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. Relaunches in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So 
share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasio podcast. That's hashtag gymnasio podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach, or in your business, and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasioedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.